everybody. I am civil rights attorney Carol Powell Lexing and welcome to my inaugural podcast. I'm very excited to be here today because with this podcast, I hope to empower you with knowledge from my 30 year plus boots on the ground experience in this legal system. And notice I said legal system and not justice system because there is a difference. And I probably will get with you to discuss that later. Um, But right now we're in a fight. You and I are in a fight for justice. And on in that fight, on this podcast, we are going to explore. We're going to discuss. We're going to dissect. We're going to judge. Yes, judge. We are going to act as judge, jury and executioner on this American legal system. And most of all, from this podcast, we're going to come up with solutions as to how to make the legal system a true justice system for all of us. Because remember, we are all striving for equal access to justice. And so we are in that fight. But before we actually can go forward, I would like to just share some affirmations that will kind of are some encouraging words that's going to kind of help you in the fight for justice because I like to pray and not only do I like to pray I like to read about affirmations and I just want to share a really good affirmation for you because I want you to remember that you are created to succeed you're designed to win you are equipped to overcome you are anointed to prosper and you're blessed to become a blessing Remember, boxers have to prepare themselves mentally before they get in a fight. So we have to prepare ourselves mentally as well as physically, but more so mentally as we fight this legal system so that everyone can have equal access to justice. Now, let me just tell you something about myself and how basically my journey as to how I arrived in this seat today. I'm sure you all have noticed my southern accent. And yes, I am from the dirty south. I'm from Louisiana. I am from the northern part, not the southern part, which most people seem to tend to think about New Orleans. I am from, I am about probably about four and a half to five hours from New Orleans, depending on the direction that you take and how fast you drive. But. I am in the northern part, so remember that. I want everybody to remember Monroe, Louisiana. Um, I am a farm girl. I was raised on a farm. My family, we produce uh, cotton. We grew cotton and soybeans and um, all the vegetables that we can eat. And I think um, I didn't realize that I grew up eating organic food that everybody wants now. Back then, I didn't appreciate it. Because on the farm, everyone has to work. And I really thought that that was really hard work. And I just wanted to do whatever I could to get off that farm and to uh, go to school and just to try to be all I could be. Because my father said, if you don't go to school, I have a hole in the barn with your name on it. So that was really an inspiration for me wanting to go to that was my main inspiration for wanting to go to school but nevertheless I grew up in the Baptist Church and yes I am one of those kids that grew up in the village because it takes a village to raise 
a child. And that and that's true because I had people from my church, my Sunday school teachers, uh, Miss Esseline Downs, Miss Dorme Rice, different women that would come pick me up and take me to Sunday school. And with you know, and when you go to Sunday school, they make you um, they make you do Easter poems, Christmas poems. So that was my first experience as as uh, as it relates to my um, my speaking experience in life was doing these Easter poems and these Christmas poems because of these women that thought enough of me to come and get me to take me to church every Sunday. I want to talk about my mom and dad. Um, and coming up on that farm and family with my family, with my one brother and three sisters. And basically, I came up, uh, I had some really great parents. My mom, she was a very, um, she was a very caring person. She could be called the angel of mercy because we basically took in everybody and helped everybody in the community. But for the most part, she mainly would never allow me to say that I can't do anything. She would always say, you better take that tea off a can't and get with it and don't quit it. Especially when I took piano lessons, you know, you could hear me banging on the piano and I get a little frustrated and she'll say, okay, uh, we need to cut that out. You need to get straight with it. And I would try to tell her I can't do it. And she would say, oh, yes, you can. You better take that tea off a can't and get with it and don't quit it and let me hear you. And so I had a very, I had some really, I had a really great mom. I had a really great dad. He took care of his family. Nobody's perfect now, but they were my parents and they were great people. And they took care of myself, my siblings, uh, my three sisters and my brother. And um, I'm just so proud. And hopefully they're, they are looking down on me and, and seeing that, you know, I did do something with myself, you know, that 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 hole in the barn um, inspiration worked out. So <laughs> so yes, and um, you know, being on a farm family, I lived out in the country, and out in the country, I lived on what's called the Washita, because that's the name of a parish in Louisiana. We have parishes in that counties, so I lived in Washita uh, uh, Parish, which is on the line between. Uh, Caldwell Parish and Washtenaw Parish. So I ended up going to the Caldwell Parish High School and down at that high school, it was the last high school in the state of Louisiana to integrate. So that tells you a lot about my high school days. They were good days and there were bad days. But, but most of all, I had counselors at that school that really did not do what I call what counselors are supposed to do, and that is encourage you to be all that you could possibly be. My counselors very seldom even basically talk to us or talk to me, and when that person did talk to us or talk to myself, it wasn't any encouragement. It was more or less, well, you might make it, well, you might not make it. That's why I'm glad that I had great parents to sow in my life and encourage me to be all that I possibly could be. And not only that, I had an uncle who was the um, first African-American judge in Caddo Parish, which is Shreveport, Louisiana. And that person and my aunt also sewed into my life. So I came up with a really good family. And uh, I'm very proud of my family and I'm proud of where I came from because let me tell you, 
when I grew up, I didn't appreciate what I appreciate now. And so I'm just you know, thankful for my family. I went on from my high school days and attended Louisiana Tech University, which is in Ruston, Louisiana. Not that far from my home, because you have to remember I had some very strict parents. They didn't want me to go too far. I tried to go down south in Baton Rouge, but it just didn't work out because at that particular time, LSU had an overabundance of freshmen and they were putting us in um, hotel rooms. And my dad and my mom, when they came to um, doing orientation and they saw what was happening, they quickly took me back home. <laughs> but my aunt, thank God for my aunt, because if, if, if it wasn't for her, I would still be on that farm because she told my parents, she said, listen, there's a university called Louisiana Tech University. It starts on the quarter system and you can get her into school because they don't start until September. And uh, I said, I will go, I don't care what it takes to get there. I just wanted to make sure I got off that farm. And um, I went to Louisiana Tech and lo and behold, all the classes had closed except night classes. I took night classes, but I didn't tell my parents because if I knew I told them, being the strict people that they were, they would probably make me come back home. So I went on to Louisiana Tech University and I enjoyed my years at, at La Tech. And um, of course, once again, you have counselors for whatever reason, they didn't like to sew into and uh, encourage you to be all that you can possibly be. In fact, I had one of my counselors to tell me that I might need to rethink being a lawyer because at that particular time I knew I wanted to go to law school. In fact, I knew I wanted to go to law school back in high school. So I was very conscientious about having good grades and doing what I needed to do in order to get me to law school. He just told me oh, I probably wouldn't make it. You, you need to do something else in life. Uh, it's too hard for you. And just one thing after another to try to um, uh, persuade me not to go to law school. But like I said, thank God for God himself and thank God for good people and great parents. And upon my graduation from Southern University, I was blessed enough to get hired as an assistant district attorney in Monroe. Um, I got hired as a prosecutor and um, during my days at the DA's office, I was able to see, you know, a lot of things um, that were really unjust with the black, with black and brown people that I really wasn't, uh, I didn't feel very comfortable uh, with. Nevertheless, I must say I did enjoy to a certain extent being there, but for seeing how the system basically railroaded black and brown people. So then I knew at that particular point that I needed to be on the civil side. And the civil side meant that I would have an opportunity to defend those people that the DA was prosecuting. So I decided to go out, have a private practice, go on my own. In addition, I did get hired as the director of the legal services program in Monroe, Louisiana, and I got hired as the volunteer lawyers project pro bono coordinator so that I could go out and recruit attorneys from 12 different parishes to help people that could not afford to, um, to hire an attorney on their own. And that's why I became a civil rights attorney. One of my first cases <laughs> being the civil rights attorney had to do with defending 
a little elderly lady who had gone to a dentist to have to have the dentist to make her some false teeth. Well, this particular dentist was not only up and up, and what he was doing was he was intentionally making the teeth uh, where they didn't fit in order to get the elderly lady who was on Medicaid to come back and to pay for a second set of teeth. Now, being elderly, she was on Medicaid, and Medicaid only paid for, made one payment so that she could get her dentures um, made. Well, this unscrupulous dentist basically knew that, and what he did, he preyed on elderly people, and instead of fixing the second set, he would never fix it so that the elderly people could pay, because who's gonna walk around with, you know, with no teeth in their mouth. So they would uh, just scrounge up whatever monies that they would have in order to pay him to fix their teeth the right way. And at that point, he fixed the teeth the right way, but what we did was we went full throttle against him and made sure that he didn't no longer took advantage of anyone, especially elderly people. And um, that was my first probably successful civil rights attorney. You know, being a civil rights attorney, most people think of big things. They think you're going to start off big, but back then and maybe even now, you know, you have to have a foundation in order to get where you're going. And that particular case was my foundation in the, in the uh, field of civil rights. So I went on and um, I don't know if you all remember, but as time would have it, I, you know, I took a lot of cases in and but it, it, it never amounted to the case that I'm about to tell you about now. This case took on international way before social media, way before, um, you know, there may have been Facebook, but it was not prevalent way before the Internet was as hot as it is today with the George Floyd case. I took on a case back then called the Gina Six. I'm sure everybody remembers that because that was a very high profile case involving six young men or six high school students. They got into a schoolyard fight. At the beginning of the school year, the school had an assembly where they have all the kids come in and, you know, at the beginning of the year, they talk to them about the rules and regulations and what's going to happen at the school. But at that assembly, there was a black kid who raised his hand and asked a proverbial question as, will we, meaning black kids, be able to stand under the tree this year? And the administrator said, of course. Why did you, you know, why you asked me that? Of course. So the black kids acted on it and they went and they stood under the tree. You have to understand there was a tree at Gina High School. And this tree was like a demarcation type of line where black kids stayed on one side and white kids stayed on the other side. And so now you're at that now a black kid at the assembly is asking, well, wait a minute, can we cross this line? Can we go stand under this tree? And so they did so. And when they did so, fights broke out. And you would think in the 21st century that people would be able to get along. But they didn't down in Gina. What happened next was that fights broke out. Um, when the fights broke out, 
the school district decided that they were going to call all the black kids to the auditorium and allow the district attorney to come and talk with them. Now this particular district attorney happened to be the attorney for the school board. And instead of him going to talk to the kids and instead of the school system bringing all the kids, black, white, purple, green, everybody, to the school auditorium, they brought only the black kids. And that particular district attorney said, listen, if you keep up these fights with a stroke of a pen, I will wipe your life out. Well, that didn't set very well with the parents and it wouldn't set very well with anybody who had a child that was supposed to be learning and you have this authoritarian person like the DA threatening that they were gonna wipe out their lives all because they wanted to stand under a tree at the school. So fights broke out. When fights broke out, you ended up with a very major fight and you ended up with the DA charging and trying to send six young productive men that are productive men of society this day, but they were kids then, he tried to send them to prison for a schoolyard fight. That particular case garnered international attention, national attention, international attention, way before George Floyd, way before Black Lives Matter. You had 30,000 people that came to Gina, Louisiana to protest and this protest was organized by all the black um, radio personality people like Michael Basden and um, Steve Harvey and um, people like that. And it brought all the civil rights leaders to that particular area to protest about the injustice that was perpetrated on these young men. That case, um, was kind of like uh, the first civil rights case for the 21st century where you saw 30,000 people protesting in this little town. And I must tell you, the people came to that town, they didn't tear up anything. And let me tell you, what this, this is what was amazing to me about when the people came to Gina, Louisiana to protest. Before they got there, the town shut down. The dealerships moved all their cars someplace because they thought black folks was coming to tear up things. Black people went to a town. They didn't even buy anything. They took their hibachis. They cooked food on the sidewalks. <clears throat> Excuse me. They didn't even patronize nothing in Gina, Louisiana. And let me tell you, I felt bad because I had a friend who had just opened up a subway. He was a white friend of mine. I encouraged him to go to Gina because I knew he was gonna be the only business open and I encouraged him to go down there because I thought he was gonna make a lot of money for the people that were gonna come and use his business because everybody else in Gina, Louisiana had closed down their businesses and got out of town, moved their cars, moved things because they thought people were gonna tear up. Well, people did not use, they didn't buy anything when they went to Gina. In fact, I was embarrassed because I had encouraged him to go down there, but black people didn't even spend their money in his subway. They did ask to use the bathroom, and he graciously allowed them to do that. They didn't tear up anything. They went, they took their hibachis, they took their RVs, and we protest all day. 
We had civil rights leaders like Reverend Jackson, of course, Reverend Sharpton. We had uh, Dick Gregory. We had some of the most renowned people to come to Gina, Louisiana. We had our Congresswomen, Sheila Jackson Lee. We had um, just many other people that came to protest about the injustice down in um, Gina, Louisiana. Can you believe the district attorney, an overzealous district attorney, a racist district attorney, charged these boys, these kids, with really for uh, second degree murder, but he ended up reducing it to attempted second degree murder. Can you believe that? It is because of DAs like that that inspires me to go forth to help people and to make sure that black and brown people or anyone does not get railroaded with this justice system. Because you have to remember, I said earlier, justice is only good as the people that you place in office. So if you have an unscrupulous district attorney, you're going to get unscrupulous results. Now, Gina Six is the case that propelled me into the national spotlight. In fact, Congress, the Congressional Black Caucus, named me as the um, civil rights attorney for the 21st century. I've represented a lot of families that have lost their loved ones to uh, police brutality and um, um, right after the Gina Six case, I had a case where a young man named Scooter Pipes, uh, Baron Pipes is his name, but his nickname was Scooter. He was um, basically tasered nine times, basically electrocuted to death by the police. From that Gina Six case, it opened the doors for me to represent families regarding police brutality cases and just cases where the system has abused and violated the civil rights of a lot of people. I went on and of course I worked on the George Floyd case and and now I am representing uh, Miss Nancy Davis. I'm sure you all have heard a lot because our United States Supreme Court did us an injustice when they overturned Roe versus Wade. And so I'm gonna be discussing Miss Nancy Davis case at our next um, show. Thank you for joining me today and listening to a small slice of my story. Coming up, we have some riveting conversations. Um, we're going to be tackling some very controversial issues. We have some stellar guests that's going to help me um, speak and discuss uh, the cases with you. And um, basically, we're going to get to know each other better because, as I said earlier, we are in this fight for justice. Be sure to go to my website, carolpowellexing.com. Thank you for joining me, and until next time, be blessed.